1: You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast.
0: Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the southern outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode.
1: Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. As we're rolling into January, rolling into the new year, we've got a big buck slayer on, Mr. Dexter Galger. Dexter, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing phenomenal. Yeah, I bet. I I bet. After that Facebook post I saw of of you with that. How how big was that buck? I mean, can you describe that buck that that you posted the other day?
2: Yeah, absolutely. He was a a 13-point. He had a split G2 and kind of like an extra beam. Uh, He was an older deer. I know... For sure, he was a, just a mature buck, was trying to target. So he was a great deer.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, that, we saw that. Me and Jacob were both like, "Who's this joker? Let's talk to this guy." <laughs> so we also have uh, the ginger gunslinger. He's in Iowa right now, so he's coming in remote. Uh, Jacob, how are you?
3: Oh, uh, dude, doing good. Just trying to stay warm right now. So
1: <laughs> yeah, here you, been... I'm actually sitting sit,
3: sitting sitting right now in the parking lot of a Dollar General, which is going to be uh, my <laughs> motel for tonight. Sleep in the truck. So
1: nice little dollar general in and sweets can't beat it with a stick man all right let's get into this (laughs) dexter uh why don't you give us a little background on yourself kind of where you're from and a little bit of your hunting history
2: yeah so i'm actually from if you look on a map where alabama tennessee and georgia all come together there's chattanooga tennessee i'm actually from a little town north of chattanooga uh grew up here grew up hunting traditional what i like to refer to as like southeastern style like we hunted rut funnels um, a lot of people that i grew up with didn't pay any attention to anything but those rut funnels uh acorns when the acorns started falling that was the time to hunt when the acorns started falling when there's too many acorns it was like just throw a dart at a board and hope you're in the right place and uh i guess i've been hunting my entire life i mean i remember my dad Packing me in when I was four years old on sleeping bags. I have a twin brother He would put us both and he would sit us both in some rocks because we hunt Cumberland Plateau So it's in some uh, like just hill country some mountains and After that it just kind of evolved into my own thing hunting in uh, high school college and really caught the itch about my freshman year college had a lot of free time and Fell in love with it. And ever since then it's just been wide open
1: absolutely so uh, you've had a lot of success over the last couple of years. I mean, you've killed a lot of, of, re- of very nice bucks. uh I mean, have you have you kind of always been on the bucks, or was there something that that really clicked a couple of years ago that allowed you to just really hone in and, and be consistent year after year?
2: Yeah. So originally, when I got into college, I, I man, I started I, I started to kill some some decent quality bucks as far as age came along, and then I, I was probably 19 years old, and I killed my first like referred to as the really mature buck he's a five and a half year old nine pointer and ever since then it was pretty much like rut funnels and hunting those traditional times of the year when those bucks were on their feet but then about two years ago uh, I actually got married about five years ago and I the first two years of our marriage I realized I didn't have as much time as I used to have Uh, I did that I'm a teacher by trade so there's not a ton of free time like I used to be when I was a college student so I had to kind of figure some stuff out on my own and I figured out that I really could use scrapes to sort of make these bucks hunt me a little bit. Uh, And most of that the past two years, that's really helped me with my success has been my own mock scrapes, not necessarily using dirt scrapes, but using scrapes that I set up in places that draw deer to where I want them to be. And that's, what's really got me on, I would say the most consistent big bucks that I've, uh, that I've ever had the opportunity to take.
1: Interesting. See, I, When Jacob told me about about you in this conversation, I got really excited because I'm a scrape guy. I really love uh, the idea of scrapes. I love hunting them. There's just so many things you can talk about with them. You can pick them apart. There's so much to learn there, so many interesting things. Uh, So when I find a guy like yourself who's who's had a lot of success on scrapes, it it really piques my interest, Um, especially your style, which is a lot different, which we're about to get into. But uh, Jacob, before we start kind of getting into the meat and potatoes, uh, do you have anything?
3: Yeah, I, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, Dexter, how did you get to this point with the scrapes, which we're going to talk about your styles in a second, but um, I guess, well, this the kind of cuts to the chase. You know, you kill, you've you killed, he said, eight, maybe eight or nine bucks in the last couple of years, um, you know, hunting and targeting, you know, mock scrapes. And also there's a window of time uh, that you've learned through trail cameras and everything else and this personal experience that you can kill them when you place that mock scrape out there, which we're going to get into in this episode. but. Before we do that, you, you talk about being like a, a rut funnel hunter. I know when, when you and me talked to yesterday on our about hour and a half long phone call, talked a lot about like your dad and your uncle too, and kind of like that's the kind of way you grew up is that style, of like, hey, we're hunting rut funnels, we're hunting bluff gaps, we're hunting those classic spots. And, you know, it's kind of hit or miss depending on the year. And you start implementing, you know, learning a little bit more about the scrapes and fact figured out like, hey, I can truly make these deer you know with the right implementation of a mock scrape in the right location come hunt me and come to a perfect ambush spot for me but also a spot that he feels very comfortable coming to can you talk about that that uh the aha moment or maybe that point of time when like hey you saw the advantage of what you could potentially do with mock scrapes instead of just hunting a natural scrape out there in the woods
2: yeah so like three years ago there's a i got this one deer that i was hunting um and it was so funny because I, I do bounce around those couple of states tennessee alabama and georgia where i talked about are really close to where i can live where I, where I live i can be to any of the states within 30 minutes and there's this lease i was on in tennessee and i was trying to kill this one buck I had pictures of him and um i had pictures of him on trails it was pretty much inconsistent and what i wound up doing was i made a mock scrape and when i made a mock scrape within 48 hours i i had pictures of him on truck camera. I mean, I had pictures on them in trail camera, either right at first light or right at last light. And it was kind of crazy because I was like, man, that's weird. Like most of the time, these big bucks don't check scrapes until night, or at least that's what I've always, what most people have always told me, what I've heard. A lot of that's done at night. Uh, of course, up here in the mountain is a little bit different because we do have those bluff gaps. And our rut funnels are a lot of times just big bluff gaps where you can sit on these high bluffs and watch off or you can sit on a flat that leads to a gap. I realized that these bucks were making some scrapes kind of heading into these gaps so that year it kind of opened my eyes a little bit i made a mock scrape and uh i actually hunted and killed a pretty decent eight pointer uh that year it was three years ago and then i killed a seven pointer coming up the same gap and i was like wow, that's kind of weird like those bucks were using those scrapes well then last year uh, i got on a lease uh, this lease is a little bit different than what i've been used to in the past uh, i've usually hunted permission land or there's public land around here and knocking on doors gets you a lot of a lot of places but i got on this lease two years ago and i started kind of hunting those same bluff cats but i found that these bucks in early october when i made a mock scrape it was like within the first 48 hours or so these bucks were in there now in october it was at night time but they were still hitting the scrape so i was still hunting around them but the closer it got to that rut period for this area, which is about the week of Thanksgiving, the week after, I started making these these mock scrapes. And I was like, you know, last year I made a mock scrape, and I, I killed a buck, and it wound up killing two bucks within the same area trying to come up out of the place that had a scrape. So I decided I was going to hunt, like, right over that mock scrape. And last year when I did that, I made a mock scrape. So I killed it on a Friday, and then on the Thursday before, I took my wife, hunting with me, Uh, she just sat with me, and I made a mock scrape that night, and then Friday morning I went in, and at nine o'clock I killed a 120 inch eight pointer that came around the side of the mountain, and at that point I was like, okay, there's something to these mock scrapes. So fast forward a little bit later, I hunt also in Northern Alabama, and I got a permission on a farm there that is the side of a mountain that leads up, and I thought, well, that works so well in Tennessee, why don't I try that down here? So I made a mock scrape again, it's a big bluff gap, but I made it where there was already some pre-existing roads a little bit around the side of this flat that ran up in the bluff gap. And I was like, well, what I'll do is I'll make a mock scrape where I can see this mock scrape. I know there's sign over there and I can try to hunt above that sign, but if I make this mock scrape, they already want to come up this gap. Why don't I just kind of entice them a little bit, put it here? And I made the mock scrape on that one. Um, I think I made it on the 29th, the evening of the 29th and I killed a uh, 138 inch nine pointer on the 31st. So it's kind of within that 48 hour range. Again, I killed him at eight o'clock in the morning. He was actually coming off the mountain on a trail that was headed straight to that scrape. Again, he winds up getting into that scrape and doing a little working and stuff, wind up being able to pull a miracle shot because I sat below him, I should have sat above him, but uh, killed him sitting in a scrape as well. And then this year, um, I killed an eight pointer in Tennessee that was heading to a place where i had some mock scrapes and i was able to use my knowledge from the year before on that lease to say okay well the week the two weeks after thanksgiving i know they're going to make it to these areas where i've had those mock scrapes so i was able to use that to kind of get in front of those deer and, and cut them off before they hit those scrapes and i, I was able to take a, a good deer there and then this year in alabama that 13-pointer we just talked about it's crazy with him i made a mock scrape on the 23rd of december and unfortunately i wasn't able to hunt it within what i like to like to get to but uh, on the 26th i believe twenty 27th, he was standing in my mock scrape 50 yards from me uh working my mock scrape when i was able to shoot and take him so from all that to say that really the last two or three years there's been just kind of an eye-opening thing of using these scrapes um, to my advantage and being able to to take good mature bucks, maybe not even the buck that I plan on taking, but just taking a good mature buck as they're checking those
1: scrapes.
3: And we're going to get to that in just a little bit, talking about, you know, targeting specific deer using the mock scrapes, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I there's probably a lot of listeners wondering, you know, what is it about with this 48-hour window that you've kind of figured out just through trail cameras and just personal experience the last couple of years, last few years? Um, can you talk a little bit about, first off, you've mentioned both putting scrapes out in October and then also a little bit later in the year. Can you talk about the difference in the type of mock scrapes that you'll put out, like the one for inventory versus the one that you're actually going to hunt over, come you know, closer to that rut and that seeking phase?
2: Yeah, so usually what I try to do, um, and again, this started about three years ago when I realized I didn't have as much time as I used to and a lot more on my plate than I ever had. So I decided that in October, uh, past couple of years, I haven't even really hunted in October. And if you went back earlier than that, I try to be in the woods every Saturday, every week I got off, every weekend I got off, I try to be in there. But now in October, what I try to do is I make these mock scrapes in areas where I know bucks are going to want to be anyway. And I use those as kind of my inventory. And I realized that these bucks, about two years ago, I started realizing that within the first 48 hours, these bucks would still try to tend these scrapes. now, I don't know if it's because it's a new smell to them or it's just the place that they want to be. But most of the time in these bluff gaps in these areas that are leading up the mountain where I've, I've had a lot of success with even taking inventory with them, if I make the mock scrape, it's like I'll have all these different bucks that'll try to tend the scrape. I had uh, one property that's some public land that I hunt that I found one of very few community scrapes that I've ever found in my life. And I kept getting doe pictures, doe pictures, doe pictures in October. And I actually made a mock scrape above it. I figured those bucks would try to get some, catch some thermals and and make a, kind of try to catch that other scrape. And within 48 hours, I had a a really crazy looking buck sitting in that scrape. He was sitting in that scrape, working that scrape. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. These bucks are in here that quick. So when it came to knowing my area's rut, I got, those three states that I hunt, I know Georgia and the places I hunt, um, I'm actually gonna branch out and hunt Atlanta, so I'm not, not familiar with it just yet, but the place I hunt in Georgia, that rut's still around Thanksgiving, and Alabama's the end of January, middle of December, It's kind of like there's two ruts there. Uh, in Tennessee, it's pretty much from the week after, no, well, the week after Thanksgiving until the middle of December, I started to use those same things I was using to take inventory in October, to hunt with and what i realized was from my cameras that made me extremely heartbroken at times those bucks are standing in my scrapes within 48 hours of me making them i say it makes me heartbroken because some days all i had to hunt was a saturday and i would i'd make my scrape on a saturday and i'd have a a good shooter buck sitting in my scrape on sunday morning at eight o'clock or monday morning at eight o'clock or in the evening and uh from there it kind of just led me to think you know this 48 hour window is the best time If I time it right with the rut, it's the best time to be in the woods with these bucks. And you know, with the rut around here, there's there's always a two week give or take of where you want to be. But if these scrapes are in the right place where the bucks already want to be, you can kind of make those scrapes to where they'll work for you instead of just working for the bucks.
1: That that makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, I got I got stuff on that. Um so really before we go any further, I mean, I have a lot of questions about that, but you keep mentioning kind of where you're putting these scrapes. Like you're putting it over here by this bluff gap. You're putting it uphill of a community scrape where you think bucks are probably like winding this other scrape. Uh, so, I mean, pretty much anytime we talk about scrapes, whether it be when we talk about them with Troy Pottinger or whoever else, uh, the location is always just like the absolute most important part of it. So I'm, I'm really curious about locations. And tell me if I'm off base here, but it, it sounds like, you're putting these scrapes in areas where bucks are probably going to be naturally kind of flowing through that area. Maybe not right on top of where that scrape is, but within like X distance. Um, And then that they're coming to that scrape when I guess they smell it or see it or something. Uh, Am I right there or is there more to it? No,
2: I mean, that's pretty much it. And that even goes to the inventory part of it. Um, if I find good sign in October, and I see, as far as feed sign, if I see feed sign, I'm like, these bucks are already in here, so why don't I put a mock scrape in this place where I know bucks are at, whether I see a track going up the side of the mountain, or I see a track on a flat, or I just see a good feed sign, I'll put that for inventory when it comes to the rut, I do the same kind of deal, except I'm not, I'm not relying on feed sign, what I really like to see is a good track going up the side of the mountain, or a wore out trail going up the side of the mountain, and I can kind of say so, okay well if they're coming up here then I can say that they're probably going to use that gap or here recently in some of the public land and uh, some of the permission land i have gotten even my lease there's a little more pressure nowadays um, and I've had to look for those overlook spots where I'm like well this is the only spot where they're not receiving pressure so we're going to put a mock scrape here because it just makes sense for them to be here and that's what it's been for the most part as far as scrape placement here it, there's no real Uh, I'm not making any rubs around a scrape. I'm not doing any sort of signpost rubs. It's just making a scrape on their preferred tree type for whatever place it is that I'm hunting.
0: Ooh,
1: I like that. So preferred tree type. Can you get into that a little bit? Um, what, What makes a good scrape tree? I mean, is there certain species, certain heights, anything like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, around the places I hunt are all different. So there's one place that I've got permission to hunt that's in Tennessee and for some reason the bucks in that area uh, I don't know why you would want to make a scrape below a pine because it's got sap all over it but I guess it maybe just holds the scent the way that they like but they love to make a scrape under pine trees uh, there's also not a lot of beech trees on that place which is what I find the most in Georgia and in Alabama those beech trees just they'll make these scrapes below these beech trees so if I can find a beech tree in a place then I can make it advantageous to me, then I'll do it. Now, it gets kind of hard on places where there's not a lot of beech trees, but again, if you come around a flat, and all of a sudden you start seeing a bunch of beech trees leading up a, a gap, then you know that that's probably a place that that buck's going to be anyway, so you can make that. It's great. That's what I've done. What so I did this year, uh, I was talking to Jacob yesterday. I said I got a picture of a buck. I had just decided to go hunt in Alabama, and I found a, uh, a bluff gap kind of the same way. It was the only place on this whole property that had just a real good gap that had beech trees. in it. I made a, a mock scrape on a logging road that was kind of underneath those grown up beech trees. And it was within 48 hours. I had a good buck sitting under there, uh, working a branch and I was 70 miles away on another property.
1: So when it comes to that kind of thing where you're going to these places where there's all these beech trees, uh, there's already like good licking branches there and you're making that scrape. Um, what do you think it is that what part of it do you think is getting that buck to come in? Like, are you pawing up the ground or are using any kind of scents on it? Uh, like any kind of buck pee or anything preorbital scent, anything like that? Or are you just scraping the ground?
2: So I've done, I've done it all, but from my experience, scraping the ground doesn't work in the way that I want it to. If I'm going to make the scrape, I'm not going to give a half part of the effort on making it. I want to make it to where I feel like something's going to come in, whether that's going to be my confidence level or, it's actually going to, you know, boost my chances. But what I've found the past couple of years, I've used that dough urine. It's like golden estrus. I've used it. I've, uh, I've peed in my own scrapes. I've done a little bit of it all. But what I've realized is that if you get a good combo, um, I've got some dopey that I found in a guy out in Illinois. I, could, I can't even think of the name of it, but I ordered it offline. I want to say it's like gems or something like that but that's the one I stuck with but what I found for the best combo for these mock scrapes is having a buck and a docent and a lot of times I'll do a buck and a docent and I'll pee in it too just to give them a little something else in there but what I found for these mock scrapes specifically under these beech trees and these preferred tree tops isn't necessarily any preorbital orbital or anything like that I'll take my boots. I hunt with rubber boots. I don't I don't really like to do it with leather boots. If I do leather boots, like in early season, because, well, sometimes even in late season, like right now, that I wore my snake boots the other day. I killed that 13-pointer. Um, I'll use a, a stick if I can try and find one and scrape the ground back real good, just like a regular scrape. I'll do like a V-shape, or sometimes if I'm feeling crazy, I'll do a double scrape if I get a big beech tree and kind of angle my cameras up or angle my stand up in a way where I can see both um that's what i did with this 13 pointer except he went in and kind of connected both my scrapes and made his own um but i'll i'll do what i like for the buck scent my favorite one is i think it's called red moon rut by buck fever synthetics there's also another one they make that's just a buck scent for pre-post rut um if i'm in a pinch i'll buy it but just having that buck scent in there and then dopey i really haven't found much of a difference in the ones i use right now i've got that the one, I think it's called Jim's Doe Estrus, but I've used the, the Golden Scent. And really just a combination of a buck and a doe scent has really been, in my mind, what kind of makes those bucks mad enough to come in. Kind of like it's a territorial thing. It just gets them fired up like they want to be in. That's great.
1: No, that makes perfect sense. So that, one reason I bring that up, that that's so interesting because I've been, I've told people before, and, I, and I'm kind of like this, is if I go into a place like that, and there's like a like an old logging trail, and there's a row of beech trees going down them with a bunch of perfect looking branches, and there's not already a scrape there. I'm like, oh, this spot sucks. But but you're not like that. Uh, you you see that. I mean, you see that as a great opportunity to make a scrape. Uh, so uh, you kind of mentioned it a little bit before, but can you just go a little more in depth with the kind of deer sign around those areas that you're looking for? I mean, is it just tracks? Do you have to have some kind of buck sign? Or are you just looking for? the signs that, Hey, there are deer here. I don't know if they're bucks or does, but there's deer hanging out in this area.
2: I think it really depends on what, what I'm doing. So if I'm doing the, the inventory, like in October, when these properties come along, a lot of times that's just a generalized deer sign. I just want to see if they're feeding. I want to see that they're in the area because during that time, I know bucks and does, at least where I hunt for the most part, there's one WMA where they kind of come in towards the end of October but for the most part, they're not chasing does. So if, if I see feed sign, it's probably just as much bucks as it is does. So I'll make that mock scrape based off feed sign then. But as the year goes on, I'll try to find really for me, that track, seeing that foot going up the side of the mountain. Cause like I said, here I'm hunting, pretty much hunting the Cumberland plateau. If you can picture that hunting the Cumberland plateau. So some people say it's hill country, but I mean, our mountains here, you're talking 12, some maybe if you're getting crazy, 2000 foot. Uh, so I really try to find that track coming up the side of the mountain to where I can kind of pre-plan, okay, well, if he's coming here, there's only one or two bluff gaps that he can go up. Then at that point, what I like to do is I like to go up there to that bluff gap and trying to, well, I like to hunt it first. Either I'll pick one of the two gaps and I'll say, okay, let's make a mock scrape here if there's no sign already, and I'll hunt that gap. And If I don't see any good sign or I don't see any deer coming up that gap, I'll go to the other gap and usually nine times out of 10, if there was no bucks going up that gap or no deer going up that gap, they're in the other one. So that's where I make my mock scrape. That's what happened to me last year. I had one gap going up the side of the mountain, and I could see. It just so happened where I was sitting, I could see far enough to see the very next gap that came over. But it was like 200 yards through the woods, and I watched all morning. I watched deer go up that gap, go up that gap. I I don't know what there were bucks or does there too far, but at that point I knew that I needed to get on the next gap over and make that mox scrape. So when I'm looking for sign to make that mox scrape, all I really wanna do, uh, really year round, is make sure there's deer moving through the area. Because eventually, even if it's just does that you're seeing, eventually there will be a buck coming up, a, like a gap here where I'm hunting. Um, there's also another place to hunt that's some public land, that's some bottom land. It's still kind of the same thing, but it's always a positive for me when I'm hunting that bottomland area for me to throw a, a mock scrape in there if I cannot find just a rub. Even if it's just a rub where they have shed their velvet earlier in the season, that rub just lets me know that there are bucks in that area. But it's not as predictable for me finding those uh, tracks like it is going up the mountain.
1: When you think turkey calls, think of houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call, you know, that I can cut on really hard, where on other situations, I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast.
3: Our conversation yesterday talking about, you know, you're trying to put these mock scrapes in high-odd areas. You know, you're not gonna just go to an area that has little or no sign, and you're just gonna lay them out straight down. I mean, you're trying to put it in an area the deer are already coming through. Almost sounds mm-hmm. like, in, in one perspective, the episode we just did a couple weeks back with Warren Womack, and he talked about flow areas, like finding that flow area, whether it's like a, a tight funnel like that, uh, like a buff gap, or a wider area where just there's deer coming through, you know, a certain edge or whatever it is. And putting that mock scrape in an area that, again, is advantageous of not only, you know, having deer run up on it, but also potentially bucks coming through there and finding it themselves. Um, so that, that, that's something I did find pretty interesting, which, of course, you know, that makes plenty of sense. But one question I have is, you know, listeners are probably wondering, like, okay, you're talking about the first 48 hours is when you've had a lot of success. And we're going to get more into that a little bit later on this episode, but again kind of like my conversation with you yesterday i thought the way you were talking about it i was wondering I'm like are you using cell cameras or are you using regular trail cameras and what is your trail cam strategy when it comes to these mock scrapes and how you may be using some of that information to possibly figure out you know how when and where to hunt
2: to be honest i have not started using cell cameras until uh this season and when i say this season i mean i've got one sitting on a salt block that i've had there since june so I haven't really done a great job on the cell cam game. I got one for Christmas and I've got it out. But what it's telling me is the bucks and those aren't moving through that area just yet. But what I usually do, when I, it comes to the point where I'm making a mock scrape to hunt over. So let's not say that I'm just doing inventory, but I've, I've made a mock scrape and I'm wanting to hunt over it. At that point in time, uh, if I know I can't get to it within the first 48 hours for me, the best time that I think in my mind to be successful over it, i'll put a camera over it and what i do is i'll make that mock scrape and then a lot of times i'll go make another mock scrape in an area that i feel like deer are flowing through at that time and what i'll do is the next time that i hunt i will go in early enough to where i can check like say i want to hunt option a i'll go in early enough where i can go check option b first so then i'll go check that camera and pull the other camera and see if there's any bucks working those uh, working those scrapes yet, or see if there's deer in those scrapes in general, because bucks won't just work those scrapes, I'll have those in that scrape. And if I've got one scrape that's just a lot more active than the other one, then I'll go and do it. So I'm using those cameras kind of not just to figure out what deer are in the area at that point, but it's really telling me which one that I need to be in. Like right now, if I was to go hunt some of the properties I can hunt in Alabama, uh, cause I'm tagged out in Tennessee right now, some of the properties I hunt in Alabama, I've got multiple cameras out, and the one cell camera that I've got out is telling me that no bucks are coming up that bluff gap. So what that does for me is it just tells me that that other bluff gap that I've got my mock scrape in, that's the one I need to be in because that's the very next one over, and I know those deer have to come up one or the other.
3: Ah, got you. So also, again, just strategy-wise, one thing that you brought up to me, which I found very interesting, was the idea of – I guess you've seen – I know you probably run your cameras on both photo and video mode of how these bucks react to these mock scrapes when they find it. And I I know you you mentioned me earlier about, you know, them lip curling and doing all that kind of stuff when they come into these scrapes. But also the potential of a buck to, you know, go downwind or down the elevation or up an elevation from the scrape, where like if your camera is facing just the scrape, you may not catch them on camera. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of what you found with some of these different setups and how you've been able to catch some more of these deer on camera compared to maybe what you had been done previously?
2: Yeah, so previously i just throw, I'd make a mock scrape and I'd just throw a camera on it. But then these past couple of years, I'm like, I start looking at these scrapes and I start seeing like, I'll go check a camera and there'll be rubs behind my camera. And I'm like, well, hang on, that wasn't there last time. So what I've started to kind of do is put those scrapes in a way that I can get a picture of either a travel corridor, whether it's like a, I'll give you an example, this, this deer that I just killed, uh, I made my mock scrape and I set my camera up in a way where if he wanted to come, when that thermal shifts up the mountain, I, I set my camera where I could take a picture of him kind of coasting along that uphill side so you catch a the thermal. And then I have another deer that I got a picture of that I'm hoping will make it through this season in Tennessee. Uh, I set up a camera on, uh, facing a logging road, but my actual scrape was off the logging road. So if I would have set my camera up originally on the scrape, I would never have got him coming down the logging road, but instead what I've got is him coming down the logging road and I'm able to see what direction he's coming from, gives me a lot of information about potentially what flat he's even on coming to that scrape. So that gives me a chance to plan uh, for him next year. And then what I've started doing this year for the first time, because I've finally got enough cameras built up I've started doing a camera facing the scrape and a lot of times if I if I have another camera with me I love to put a camera on the other side of the tree so if I do that I can see if a buck's coming up wind or down wind checking those scrapes but it's it's done me a lot more good not just throwing a camera on a scrape but thinking about okay if I'm a buck and I come in here and I'm gonna work the scrape or maybe I don't want to work the scrape but I want to see who has been in this scrape which way am I going to come and recently well, last year too even so the past two years i've got to watch bucks work my scrapes which has been something i haven't been able to see in the past um this buck i just killed and then the one i killed last year in november in tennessee both of those bucks were they were in my scrapes the one i just killed he was he was actually holding his head a couple of foot above the scrape and was like curling his lip doing a lip curl and he actually you know, started working that scrape. I couldn't get a shot at him, so I got to watch him work that scrape. Uh, the way he was standing, it was just too thick. And he wound up stepping out and giving me a shot. And then last year, I had a, a eight-pointer come up a bluff cap and was working my scrape from the upwind side. So if I had my camera just facing down the mountain, because now this is me making an assumption, but for me in my path, I assumed that I would have always put it facing down the mountain because it's easier for us we can hang it on a tree it's going to face down the mountain it'll get him coming right in but if I would have had that camera facing down the mountain I would have never saw that deer luckily I was hunting that day and I got to see that buck came in from the upwind side and go down and work on that scrape so it's kind of changed how I set up these cameras being able to look at these bucks working these scrapes kind of learn how they're coming in to work these mock scrapes I set up
1: I got a quick question on that so uh, when you're seeing them come in or, or maybe they're just wending scrapes, how far off of the scrapes might they be? Like, especially when they're when they're just wending it and they're not actually coming in to work it.
2: Honestly, I've always seen and what I feel like for these deer, it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable if I can't see the next flat up. A lot of times those bucks, it's kind of strange. They don't care to kind of get on a straight up and down face and just come right above that scrape. Uh, usually it's plenty within rifle range, so... For me, I don't really worry about that next flat up because it's almost like those bucks, when that wind hits that edge of that flat, it just kind of goes off into the air anyway. So it's like they want to be close enough to where they can see it too. Uh, I think it does have a little bit of a visual aspect, that dirt being scraped out. I think them being able to see that lets them know that another another buck's not in that scrape.
1: And how how much of uh, a factor is the wind with these scrapes? I mean, are they... Are, are they pretty much always coming in downwind of them, or uh, or do they seem to just, if they're passing through, they'll come over and look, or is it always a situation where they're going to be swinging downwind and checking it out?
2: To be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of difference. Um, the biggest thing the thermal. I have seen some thermal action. Um, this year, the two bucks I've killed were both during what you'd refer to as a drop in thermal time. They're both at the very beginning of the day. One of the bucks was trying to make his way up to an area where I had some lock scrapes set up, but I was able to get, get ahead of him and cut him off, wind up getting shot at him. This other buck was, it was coming, the wind was dropping off the top of the mountain. If he came down the mountain, he had a visual sight on the scrape. He went straight to the scrape. So the wind thing for me, most of my pictures, I'm not really noticing much on the wind aspect. I guess if I was gonna play anything, it would be those thermals, but it, he just seems to be super inconsistent. So when I hunt, what I like to try and do is I like to just try and stay out of the way of the thermals of that scrape. So for me, as far as setting up for hunting that scrape, I just try to stay to one side or the other where I'm going to get the best shot at that deer. Um, whether he's coming into a patch of beech trees where it's going to be kind of hard to see, I just try to stay off one side or the other just in case that thermal does try to come up. I don't want him to be right behind me catching me instead of that scrape.
1: It sounds like... The, with the whole 48 hour thing, when you're going in to make these scrapes and, and kill a buck on them, you, would you say that you're going in there and the first time that you hunt that or when you kill that buck, that's the first time that he's discovering that scrape as in he, he's not, uh, he didn't find it like the night that you put it out and then he's now coming to revisit it. This is like the first time that he's traveled through this area where, Hey, there's a new scrape right there. Let me go check it out.
2: I think within that, if I can catch it within that first 48 hours. So I was talking to Jacob yesterday. I told him that if for me, if I can get in the stand within 48 hours of me making a mock scrape in an area that I feel confident in, it boosts my confidence to think that that's going to be the first time he sees that scrape and it's going to cause him to want to come in. Now, uh, currently I have different bucks working mock scrapes that I've made and it's been, I know it's more than the first time they've seen it. But they still come and use them. But for me, with that 48-hour window, I just feel like that's going to be the first time that they've seen it. It's going to be the most fresh the scent's going to get. The dirt's going to be the most turned up it's going to get. And it's just going to catch their eye with that buck scent, that doe scent. And if I can help it, that extra scent that I get. it's going to be kind of a combination of three. It's going to catch them.
1: That, that's really cool. That, that really reminds me a lot of back in the day when I used to do a lot of trapping. It's kind of like a similar mindset where – you go out, like let's say you're trying to catch a coyote or something, and, and you got some some roads going through a cutover, a fresh cutover. got some coyote tracks on it. You'll go out there, and you'll make whatever set you're going to make, like a dirt hole set or, or something or a scent post. And you put that there with the hopes of the first time that this coyote comes back through here, he's going to smell this thing, or if you're using any kind of visual stuff, he's going to see it, and he's going to be like, man, what's that? And he's going to come over there and and check it out and so it's like a lot of times you'll have if you're going to catch something you're going to catch them within that that i mean pretty similar the first 48 hour period uh that it's out there as long as there's as long as they're in the area you might catch one a couple days later if nothing's come through but if they're in the area you usually get them that that first 48 hours first two three days time frame so that's pretty neat the the similarities of it i
2: think all animals at some point have to be kind of the same as far as checking those scents and it being something different in their area they're going to come to it naturally especially if it's something that they know if i can catch them in the right time as far as not just the seeking phase but even if they're even if they're running with a doe a lot of times those does as they're working through that area even if they're towing the and they'll even walk through those scrapes and at least check it um but i think it's those first 48 hours when the scent's fresh it's a new thing to where they're at it causes them to kind of come in and and work that scrape and then if it's the area they're used to anything different like that that is a, a natural occurring thing like a scrape i think it just causes them to to come in and kind of piques their curiosity a little more
3: yeah, see that the whole 48 hour thing is something i find very interesting and one thing i wanted to ask you uh dexter was on the aspect of if you go if you put a mock scrape out and you put your own camera on it and say you kill a deer say so it's one of these bucks that you've killed the last, you know, two years, three years doing this. When you go check that trail camera, how often is it that the buck that you're killing may not even be a buck that you have on trail camera? Um, as in like a buck that's come and worked at scrape. It's kind of like what Andrew asked a little bit earlier, but like how often is it that it's not just one specific buck targeting these scrapes, but it's like you're having multiple bucks come through there inside that window to check on that scrape and you just happen to be in the right spot when you hunt in the 48 hour window that you know one of those bucks is going to be slipping through and you're going to get a shot rp
2: it's it's more often than not so okay. a lot of times in that scrape i won't specifically look for a certain buck because a lot of times i think it just it just leads you down a, a bad road because it's hard especially hunting in public land and hunting the private if you get private pieces with permission or even family land you never know who's going to wind up smoking the deer a mile away chasing a doe so i try not to to target one but most of the bucks i've killed over the past couple of years are not the bucks that i think are going to be in the scrape but it, it's crazy because i think it's going to be this buck because last year he was working through this area but then all of a sudden i'll hunt it and it's a completely different buck uh last year for instance i was hunting this deer that had two main beams it was on a place I've got permission in North Alabama, a place I hadn't hunted since last year, even. But he had two main beams. his weird looking deer, and I had him. I made a mock scrape, whatever. I think I discussed it earlier in the podcast. I think it was a twenty eighth or 29 I made a mock scrape, and I went and checked that camera that morning, and he was in there the day before. And I had I had some family obligations I had to take care of, and I was like, okay, well. I'm still within that window, let's let's try to get it done. That was the 31st. I thought he would make his way back through there. Well, lo and behold, I wound up killing this 136, 38, whatever he was, nine pointer, working that scrape that I was trying to kill a completely different buck. Well then, last year, I killed a, an eight pointer on this uh, lease I've got. I wasn't even trying to kill him. I had a, a mock scrape I made, trying to target a different eight pointer Uh, Like look completely different and uh, this eight pointer was actually the second buck that came to that scrape that morning but he was the second good buck that had been there in the past 24 hours when I pulled the camera so a lot of times when I'm trying to kill these bucks over scrapes I I don't really necessarily try to target this one deer and a lot of times when I hunt it even if I am trying to find this one deer it's usually a completely different buck it's like these mature bucks just move through Certain areas, especially during the rut, it's like they all kind of have a, a key in on, okay, those move through this area. And then when you put that scrape out with a combination of scents, especially if you have a dominant buck scent out, they're like, hang on now. This guy might can fight, this other guy couldn't fight, but maybe this guy can. It's like they come in that scrape, they're, they're fired up, they're ready to go, and it's usually multiple bucks that'll check it.
3: And that's another thing I was gonna bring up is like, adding that curiosity factor along with, you know, especially using that buck scent, um, getting a buck maybe more, especially a mature buck in the area, more fired up and more willing to check that scrape, especially if he catches that scent with the thermals um, of there's another buck in the area and he can smell that fresh dirt and everything inside that you know that short window of time. Then um, they come in there and, and be more willing to kind of come in and maybe even spend a little bit more time at the scrape instead of just walking by it. Um, I find, and Andrew, you made a really good point earlier, like how similar this is to, again, you know, trapping. Um, and again, using the sense, using the setups, you know, you're setting it up in a, in a natural travel corridor for, you know, whatever you're trapping for, but also you're setting up in a, in a perfect place where you'd be able to get to it, check that trap very easily, uh, in a lot of cases. And, um, it's like the exact same thing with these scrapes. And I've got to ask you this Dexter, you know, it, just with your opinion, after doing this for a few years and having, you know, tremendous success doing it, what do you think about that 40, forty-eight? You know, our window of time is so critical, but also so efficient, based off just what you've learned over the last few years. Like, why do you think that's the case?
2: I think the reason it works, or at least it's worked for me, and even like I said, the heartbreaking part is a lot of times I don't have luck times, so I will have like a Saturday I can hunt, but I pull that camera, and within 48 hours, there are eight good buck sets, or multiple good bucks have worked that scrape, or at least. To me, what would be a shooter buck is sitting in the middle of that scrape, working that scrape. The reason that's happened so much, I think, is because the same kind of concept as trapping, you're already in an area where deer want to be. So then you take advantage of it, and you give them a little more of what you think they want. You give them a scrape, you give them a new scent, you pick their curiosity. And with me, what I think has made that difference is is the addition of a buck scent. Whatever scent you want to use, I don't think it really matters, but... The addition of a buck scent makes that deer go, man, that buck was in here soon. That that other guy was in here, he was in here the past couple of days, that doe must be hot. And I think it makes those bucks want to come in, want to smell it and want to hit that scrape. After the first 48 hours, what I have noticed is that there will be a big lull. So a lot of times you'll have some does come through, some small bucks come through. And I've got one in Tennessee right now um, it's, it's one of the only ones I've kept the camera out. Usually when I kill a buck on it, uh, a lot of times I just pull the camera because if I leave the camera out there a long time, sometimes I'll get a picture of a bigger buck. It makes me think, dang, that stinks. I shouldn't shot him. But uh, right now in Tennessee, I've got one out, and it's kind of laid me on to this new thing of just thinking about, you know, first 48 hours is 100% the best time that I feel like I'm going to see a good shooter buck in and around that scrape. After that, there's going to be a lull where I'll get a bunch of little bucks or I may not get a deer for a while. But as soon as he goes, gets done with his doe that he's stuck with or maybe he breeds a couple of does, he'll start looking again and he doesn't forget where that scrape's at. Because about three weeks after I have a good buck working this scrape that I made in Tennessee, here he come right again. He was in that scrape 8 a.m. about three weeks after. I guess more than likely that would be referred to as like a secondary rut. He was in that scrape, and he was working that scrape, and he was in there for 30 minutes at 2 a.m. Well, then I pulled that camera that morning, and as I went back there that morning, there's the camera was dead, but there was fresh fresh sign in it. There was new tracks, so he could have been in there that morning. So these bucks, they wind up making their way back to it, but the best times at first 48 when it's the most curiosity, has their most focus, the strongest scent, and it's just something that they, they gets their hopes up, I think.
1: That reminds me of Michael. Uh, man, Michael said very similar stuff to that where he'll put a camera out and he gets that flurry of activity right when he puts it out and then it kind of goes dead. And I've experienced that a little bit. I've also experienced the exact opposite and that that's why I love talking about like the location aspect because I think I just, I'm just i in the wrong spot a lot of times. Um, one thing that I'm pretty curious about that we haven't talked about yet it would be the habitat around these, these scrapes. So when it comes to you know is there any thick cover around is there a thick understory are you in wide open woods is there anything habitat specific that you look for to key in on not only where you want to put these scrapes but maybe where you're going to find the deer in the first place
2: yeah so it's just it, it really it varies like i said i've been super blessed to be able to hunt multiple different states so let me just go like this And some of the public land i hunt is uh, around here is a lot of tba land a lot of of public TVA land. You can get on Hunt Stand, you can get on RX, you can get on uh, Spartan Forage, whatever you want to, and you can find thousands of acres of public land on TVA. So, what I like to do on a lot of this public land is I try to find the thicker spots that have funnels that are naturally occurring already and try to put those scrapes in those thicker spots because on that public land, there's a whole lot more pressure than somewhere I may get permission at. Uh, So, on that public, I try to find those thicker spots, a lot of times overlooked spots. I do the same thing on any of the leases I'm on. I've been on a couple of leases the past couple of years and had success on different ones. But what I try to do is I try to find on those places that are high pressure, those areas that are a little bit thicker, but not necessarily bedding cover, but just a place that's either overlooked or has just a little more cover to it. And sometimes the crazy part is that can be a flat full of beach trees Because a lot of guys want to climb 25 foot in a climber, and be able to shoot 150 yards through the woods. So if I've got a flat that's got beech trees that are 15 foot tall, those guys aren't gonna be able to shoot it, so they won't hunt it. So if I can go in there and make a box creep under that, that's solid. But then there's other places that I hunt, like two of the farms I've got permission to hunt in Alabama and Georgia, they, uh, it's a lot of big hardwood. It's hardwood that goes up the side of the mountain, the most you're gonna find in thick cover is when you get to some blowdowns. But even then, it's not gonna be like a 100 blowdowns. Sometimes there'll be a landslide every now and then, but most of the time, as far as habitat goes around here, it's hardwoods that are just funneling into a bluff gap. If I can find a good bluff gap where I've got one or two trails, and sometimes you can get in where you'll find like three or four trails going up a, uh, the side of a bluff, where it's not super, super steep, you can get a 120 yard stretch, something like that, where you've got multiple trails. If I've got multiple trails going up the side of a bluff, I don't care if there's a rub or any sort of buck sign, I'm gonna put a mock scrape there. And I'm probably gonna hunt it for the next 48 hours because I think with that many trails coming up the side of the mountain, it's crazy not to hunt it. And when I'm looking to put those scrapes out, I'm really not looking for that that thick, I guess I'm not looking for that, and count, I'm really just looking for a place where deer already want to be. And sometimes that can be wide open hardwoods walking up the side of the mountain, but other times that's areas where they're pressured into. Um, so at one place that I've hunted on some public land around here, it's probably 75 yards from the parking lot. But for some reason, those bucks love to kind of, there's a, there's a ridge right there, they love to hit that ridge and then go up the bigger side of the mountain, but it's real thick in there. So that's one of the places that I like to target just because it's overlooked. So a lot of times when I'm looking for that habitat, I'm not all the time looking for the thickest place, but I'm looking for the place where deer already want to be, whether it's due to pressure or that's just to how they move up the side of the mountain.
1: Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. So you kind of you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I just want to ask it outright. Uh, when it comes to bedding and proximity to bedding, because in my mind, when I'm thinking about this, I'm like, "Well, I got to be close to bedding." This, this is how I always think. I'm like, "Oh, I got to be so close to bedding. I got to be on top of them to see them in daylight." Uh, are you, are you fixated on bedding? Is that something you give a lot of thought to, or do you not really care as much where they might be actually bedded down during the day?
2: I don't care at all. I, I literally don't care. I found. Um... I can count on one hand how many beds I've ever found in my life. Uh, and it's not because I have not been looking, because there was a time when I was in college where I was going to go all like hunting beast, beast mode, find every bed that's ever been laid in by a buck, and I couldn't find any. I mean, I would walk miles and miles, especially in turkey season. I'd, I'd cover the woods. I'd never find them. So I kind of threw it out the window and just really chopped it up to around here in the Appalachian Mountains, foothills, whatever you want to call it. That, the wind is so unpredictable. They could say it's coming out of the east and it comes out of the northeast all day or it swirls when it hits certain banks. So I feel like these bucks really like to have, like, either a visual or some sort of other option. So I don't even look for the beds. But what I do want to do is kind of keep in mind, like, a bedding section. So, like, for me, what I like to really do on, my like bigger chunks of land, like, uh, when I first get into a lease, I've said I've been in a couple of leases these past couple of years. And when I say a couple leases, like one of the leases I was on had like 30 members. So it's not like I'm going in there with five guys and 1500 acres I can hunt. Um, so I'm talking like 30 guys with like 1500 acres. So there's a ton of guys there, but I like to think about where, where are these bucks going to bed if they've got a lot of pressure? Um, a lot of times that just means like, are they going to bed on this side of the mountain or this side of the mountain, depending on what's happening below. There's just, kind of a guesswork on the bedding, but I don't really pay that much attention into it. I'm more looking for that sign, getting up the mountain. I don't really care if they're going up the side of the mountain to feed. I don't care if they're going up the side of the mountain to bed or whatever. I'm just looking for where they're going at that time, if that makes sense.
1: No, that makes perfect sense. That's probably that's probably why you're so dang successful. You're not you're not overthinking it. You're you're walking in. You're finding the travel routes that have a sign in them. You're throwing a scrape on it and you're hunting it. Um, I mm-hmm. love that, dude. I, honestly, i <laughs> I think that's why this has been so successful for you because I mean I know that my biggest problem is like overthinking stuff, and so that's just a bad habit I'm trying to break. But uh, Jacob, did you have anything on on habitat or anything like that? Um. No,
3: I don't have anything on habitat. Um, but I'll say this, though. It is, the, the more and more you think about this, the, the especially like talking about the, the mock scrapes inside 48 hours, the more it makes sense to me, especially if you're putting these out during that seeking phase, you know, later into the pre-rut, right? Before, like right when some does are starting to come into heat, I can just start seeing this being extremely effective. And also, which, well, next I'll ask you this, you know, I can see it possibly being effective, you know, just after that main rut, has, like the main peak days, uh, peak breeding days have kind of concluded. I can see it also being effective as well, potentially all the way up to, you know, depending if your area has, a strong secondary rut or anything like that. Uh, Dexter, have you seen any success with it, with the mock scrapes, you know, after the, the main rut in some of these different areas?
2: I, I have. I'm going to say this, and I don't, um, um, I've been tremendously blessed. I'm not trying to be presumptuous or anything like that but uh, a lot of times um after that peak breeding date I uh, i have been tagged out so i've been the past couple of years i've been blessed to be able to be tagged out so i have pulled my cameras but um this year i decided to leave some of those cameras and what i have seen is after those pre-peak breeding dates in the areas that i hunt at least not so much in georgia uh which is kind of strange i don't see that secondary rut Um, But in Tennessee and Alabama, what I do see is that about 21 days later, sometimes 28, just depends on where they're at, depends on what the bucks are doing, I guess. But about three weeks later, those bucks will revisit those scrapes and start to hit them again. Um, That's what I've seen this year so far, especially in Tennessee, because that's been a place I tagged out in early December, but I still had a couple cameras on a different property that I was watching. And they have. They came back and started hitting those scrapes after... Um, that primary rut date, now in Alabama, the places that hunt in Alabama, uh, the public and the permission places I've got down there, it's, they do have a hard secondary rut, but that secondary rut is gonna be right at February. So I plan on leaving it this year and really kind of figuring out those dates for that. It really helps to, to know those days going into the very next year.
3: So another question I've got, um, when it comes to these books that you've killed, in on and around your mock scrapes, what if if you have to go back to think about these you know last you know eight nine deer that you killed last couple of years, uh these bucks that you killed, what time of day are you killing them in these spots? I mean mostly mornings, mostly evenings, and also is there any certain time period of that section of the day that like this is when I'm killing the majority of these
2: bucks? I feel the most successful in the morning. But like early in the morning, like first light. Um, either I shouldn't say just first light, but the past the past three years, the first about first two and a half hours of daylight has been the most successful for me. I've had those bucks, and it's it's almost like right before that thermal shift around. I would say about ten o'clock Eastern time is usually around here when it starts to shift. You can kind of notice that you get a little breeze coming up the mountain instead of your neck, and right before that switch anywhere in there when it, they've still got that kind of downward thermal pull i've had really good success in even seeing bucks and if i could if i could hit with my rifle i'd, I'd kill another one doing that so it's, it's just it seems like that's the time um in the evenings i have gotten more pictures of bucks in the evenings right at night uh right last light on these scrapes um but i don't necessarily have the freedom as i do in the mornings to hunt so a lot of times I'm limited to the mornings, um, but my cameras have showed me that in the evenings they do tend to hit them if you're in the right spot.
3: So well, then I got another question talking about especially mornings, and there, you see a lot of activity right before that thermal switch happens in the you know mid-morning. Uh, I, you talked on this a little bit earlier when Andrew asked a specific question, kind of like on setups, and you said that you like to be set up more so with a thermal than so much with the wind. Um, so you'd like to be just off one side of the other of the actual scrape but again do you predominantly like to be above and higher in elevation of the scrape do you like to be in the same elevation line or just below it and then also uh i know you talked to me earlier in the list know this, but you're not a huge fan of tree stands uh so you know you try to do what you can on the ground and not go super high but like talk a little bit more about like the setup so i'm like how do you like to approach these mock scrapes like entrance routes and also how do you like to have your stand set up with these thermal switches, knowing that, Hey, they're probably going to still be, you know, checking these scrapes in the morning, you know, while we have a falling thermal up until that thermal switch happens.
2: Yeah. So for me, like I told you, I'm not, uh, the biggest fan of heights. I'm pretty vertically challenged in fear when it comes to that. So I don't like to climb and tree stand that much. I haven't, uh, I haven't sunk a lot of money into tree stands because of that. So actually, um, here the past couple of years and actually most of my life most of the good bucks i've killed have been on the ground um, or in a tree stand where i haven't climbed but 15 foot but as far as hunting these scrapes what i've done is when i've used them in the mountains that i like to hunt i really love to try and find a big rock or a big boulder that that i can sort of maybe a little bit decorate to where i can sit on top of it kind of camouflage it in a little bit or even sit in front of it, that really breaks you up even better if you can sit in front of it and see down the mountain. Um, but I always like to sit. Well, let's go back to how I come in. I love to come in if I can, as long as my access allows me to on the property I was hunting, I love to come directly in. So whether that's straight down the side of the mountain or straight up the side of the mountain. I love to come up and down just because I feel like the more I walk, if I try to do the easy way and walk around the flat the whole way, I have more of a chance to bump those deer out of my way, where if I walk vertically or straight down the mountain, if I work those bucks up the mountain because I'm walking up the mountain, I feel like they're still gonna come back down and check that scrape, because I also like to come in. I do come in pretty early. Um, ideally, I like to be at least an hour before daylight to start being like being set up, being ready to roll. Uh, sometimes I don't have that luxury, Depends on if you hunt other people, whatever you decide to do, but I like to get in there as early as I can because the more more daylight, um, more time you have between you and daylight, it feels like those bucks can kind of think, oh, well, there's another buck coming in there, check that scrape, kind of settles down, they come back in. Um, so I do like to come straight into where I'm gonna set up. And then when it comes to setting up for my scrape, when I make my scrape, a lot of times I'll make my scrape on the edge of something that is a trail or when I use a bluff gap, if I have a big bluff that goes around the side of the mountain, I always want to set to my dominant side so that I can get an easy shot off as he's coming around the side of the mountain. I always try to put that scrape in a place where I can shoot it easy, but I can also shoot above it, and I can shoot around from it a little bit because sometimes those bucks will try to work where they can see that scrape and make like a visual check of that scrape. I have seen that. so when it comes to hunting those scrapes, I just wanna be off to either side. I like to come in from the bottom or from the top straight to it. Now when I hunt the bottom land areas that I, that are public land, TVA land that I hunt down here. Um, when I do that, I like, if I can, to try and find a water access if possible, not like a kayak canoe access. Uh, I'm not trying to get out there in the dark and flip over, but I will try to find like a drainage ditch if I can find it and access to a drainage ditch or Uh, One specific place that I like to hunt, I haven't had a ton of success with it yet, and I'm still trying to learn it. Uh, I like to try and walk in on the riverbank and then cut straight up. So I use the riverbank as kind of my road in, and then I just walk straight up. So I like to access it in that way.
1: Dexter, is there anything that you think that we've missed, like any any big part of what you think makes you successful or or any. Any uh, important detail, because uh, especially when it comes to stuff like this, those details are kind of what makes makes the cake. It's like that final ingredient. You know, you can be like, hey, go make a mock scrape and see what happens. But but it's those smaller things that really make the difference. So is there any kind of details that we've overlooked throughout this conversation?
2: But I would say, if anything, if I'm going to teach somebody, and I, I've, I've tried, but sometimes people don't want to do it, I would say don't be afraid to move. Um, If you're not in the right spot, you wouldn't set up a trap if you know that there's no coyote tracks, right? So why are you trying to set up a mock scrape where there's no deer tracks? It makes no sense. Don't hunt in the old traditional spots if there's no sign. Uh, It still does boil down to being in the right place at the right time. So you need to learn your deer. Learn your area you're hunting. Whether you're hunting WMA, you're hunting permission land you're hunting your family's farm, whatever it is that you're hunting, you need to learn the deer in your area. Sometimes it takes a year or two to kind of figure out when that rut is, when those deer are going to be in that area. But once you find that out, you got to hunt the freshest side and stay where those bucks are. Don't stay where they have been and kind of make that work for you.
1: I love that. So, yeah, we kind of hit it earlier, but just to tie a bow around it, you're looking for that, that fresh sign laid down, to keep the theme, I guess, laid down within the last 48 hours or so? That, that's what you're saying?
2: If I can find it fresh like that, then when I lay a scrape in, I really do feel like I'm going to have the most success. But if you can't find fresh sign like that, find, find fresh trails. Find a place where you can see, man, that's a, foot, that's a good buck's foot going through there. Or that's a buck going up side of the mountain. Anytime you can find a trail that's being used, or it's a hot trail, just something that you can tell that they're in, That's the sign I'm looking for.
1: I love it, man. Jacob, you got anything else? Yeah, Dexter, one one of my last questions. uh, We've
3: got listeners that hunt in and around areas with bluff gaps, and I'd like to kind of get just your take on it. When it comes to, like, hunting bluff gaps, what are some of your tips on scouting them? And then also if there's anything that you learned, you know, based off reading maps or reading sign that tells you, like, hey, you know, one bluff gap's going to be hotter than uh, than another. You know, taking the, the mock
2: scrape out of the equation for it. Don't look for the big bluff gap. Uh, A lot of times everybody wants to get on top of a map and be like, man, that's a good bluff gap. And it's 300 yards wide. How are you gonna hunt a 300 yard wide bluff gap in hardwoods? You're not going to. So a lot of times you need to just, you gotta have boots on the ground and you gotta find the gaps that are gonna work for you. Um, A lot of times that means a lot of horizontal walking around the side of a mountain. Try to figure out what gaps they're using because if you're hunting in the mountains, and if you're a new guy hunting in the mountains, there are there are bluff gaps that are better than other bluff gaps. So you gotta walk around. A lot of times that topo map will kind of give you an idea of where there might be bluff gaps, but a lot of times it won't show you the bluff gaps that those deer are using. Because sometimes those gaps can only be 10, 20 foot wide but that's the one that they're hitting at that time. So my tip for the bluff gap thing would be just make sure you know which bluff gap is the hot one at that time. You can't always see it on the map.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Andrew, anything else on your part?
1: That's all I got. Uh, Dexter, we appreciate it, man. And uh, I definitely wish you the best of luck going forward this season. Hopefully you can fill all the rest of those tags you got.
2: (laughs) I appreciate it, man.
1: To be, if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And, guys, we get a lot of questions about.